It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day and welcome once again to the two Jacks coming to you jointly from Hong Kong and from Sydney or parts thereabouts and joining me as usual is hong kong jack in hong kong unsurprisingly how are you mate i'm good i'm good i'm just thinking about bob catter rabbiting on about about people being torn to death by crocodiles in far north queensland well that yeah that was his response to the uh to the um uh same-sex marriage um yeah well uh, it 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 doesn't just happen in far north queensland a, a chap, a crocodile farmer near Siem Reap. Siem Reap's a dusty little French colonial town near Angkor Wat. Yes. Um, I've been there myself. Quite nice little place. Uh, one day doing the temples was enough for me, but still. Um, the uh, uh, This chap, a 72-year-old, he was trying to move one of the egg-laying crocodiles out Ooh. of its cage with a stick. Ooh. And the crocodile grabbed out of the Unhappy. stick, hold of the stick, and he wasn't smart enough to let the other end go, um, uh, and it dragged him into the cage, um, and uh, they had a little chomp on him. Yeah, yeah I, I presume he hasn't survived. No, um, uh, he had a lot of bites on him, they said, which, which made it sound like a mosquito attack, really, um, but there was one arm missing. Oh, dear. Uh, look, quite, quite, a, quite a few crocodile farms in the area, and a two-year-old girl went missing last year. Oh, dear. Oh, I, look, I went to a um, a crocodile farm, took the, took uh, my wife and children there when they were quite young. Uh, it's uh, it's a place south of Cairns, and um, – and uh, and one what, what, the thing that should have given me pause at, at the start was when there were the young blokes who were sort of acting as scouts and and, um, and employees of this place. One of them came up to me and goes, oh, "I haven't got a clue what to do, mate. It's my first day." <laughs> <laughs> and they give him a bucket of chicken heads and, and a plastic rake, and that's that's basically your defence. Yeah. My wife and two, and I and two children walk past this. It was chicken wire sort of thing, and 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 there were female crocodiles, and they just dropped their eggs, and that means that they they get in there and they'll take the eggs away. Yeah, and so the female crocodiles were savage, they were vicious. They were chewing at the cage to get out, and I just said to Jenna, "I said, let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> this is not going to end well." And then we walked past, and this, this old bloke's just sitting on top of a probably a four meter crocodile. Yeah, patting it on the head. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Th- those things hold <laughs> absolutely zero fascination for me. Yep. Uh, well, look uh, globally, Jack. This uh, the um, mini series Succession uh, in its third series. Not a mini series. It's a. It, it was a s- series of uh, well, thirty episodes in total. Uh, the finale ran last night, and at the end, I'd have to say it was a little bit of a disappointment. Now I know you haven't seen it, Jack. And it's oh, supposed- no, too, too busy watching Q and A myself. Oh, it's a, yes, you must only do this for the program because there's no other reason, no other humanly acceptable reason why you would be doing it. Um, but uh, look, Succession has been beautiful to watch, brilliantly shot, 
um, in uh, wonderful locations uh, around the world, um, a great cast um, and, uh, and, and a wonderful script, wonderful writing uh, in it. Um, um, but for the life of me, um, I couldn't understand why they did the third series. The, the death of Logan Roy, the family patriarch, based loosely on Rupert Murdoch, um, <clears throat> that occurred sort of midway through the uh, the third series. And um, for mine, the series should have ended uh, at the end of the second one when Logan actually stitched up the kids and, and took control of everything. Um, but uh, uh, unfortunately, it was uh, streaming too well, so they went with a third. Still worth it. Still worth your time, though, Jack, if you want to get around to it. It is rather cleverly done. Well, um, well, Q&A was interesting last night. The Aboriginal person was easy to find because he was wearing a Aboriginal flag about a metre wide on his chest. So, I, saw, um, I did see the intro on PK. Patricia Carvellis was doing the hosting uh, job there and, of course, Stan Grant has stood, uh, stood down for a period of time. Um, but that was as far as I got with it, Jack. I did see, uh, what's his name, the uh, member for Jellybrand was there from Labor. Um, yeah, I didn't pay much attention to it. It was on in the <laughs> oh, background. He should have been watching Succession. Um, uh, look, uh, Four Corners did a very good episode uh, there on uh, how a lot of churches, religious organisations, not just not just Catholics, are using um, uh, are using the death of the uh, of the perpetrators to avoid. Um, uh, and reduce their compensation payouts. So that was well worth a look. I think there are other things to have a look at there. Uh, and one victim got in touch with me throughout the program, so he's got some complaints. We might even talk about them in another episode, Jack, but we must kick off with Australia because the shock announcement uh, from Premier uh, uh, from Premier McGowan in Western Australia, it did shock everybody. I think it shocked his, uh, his own side as much as anybody. Uh, he is. He's been called by the media a rock star, just about by everyone. I don't think he's much of a rock star, to be honest. But uh, he he did, in fact, have a satisfaction rating of eighty eight percent in news poll. Jack, at one particular point, he still remains extremely popular. And uh, and in the well, last state election, well, I think he won a two-party preferred about 68 to 32 and wiped the Liberals off the electoral map. Quite the politician, Jack. A very successful politician. Um, uh, he got off to a, a pretty good start. His first ministry, he was Minister for Tourism, yeah. Racing. Racing. Uh, um, uh, gaming, uh, gaming, um, uh, and uh, and the hotels um, uh, and uh, um, uh, I, I personally I would have stayed there forever. You know? <laughs> Is the job that you and I have both courted. If we ever got into politics, yeah, yeah. that would that, be that, the that, one. That'd we'd do be major. After. I was about seventy five. I reckon. <laughs> um, uh, the um, but a very successful politician, uh, and part to be fair, part of the reason for his his very high approval ratings and his success is that it's a very provincial town, Perth. Uh, if you're seen as standing up and uh, for Western Australia against the rest of the country and the rest of the world, um, you are going to have skyrocketing um, uh, approval rates. Uh, <laughs> without wanting to be rude to our Perth people, it is the well, – this is, is not rude, this is a fact. It is the most isolated city on earth, far away from a number of other cities, you know, the, the, the nearest city sort of thing. Uh, and um, – uh, yeah, they do feel that. I've done a lot of work in 
in Perth and they do feel that sense of isolation quite acutely. But I think there's more to it than that. Um, uh, firstly, he's, as I said, he's wiped the, wiped the Liberal Party essentially off the map. There will be a state election there in 20 months' time. And this sort of shock announcement has led to a, you know, a, a succession, a succession, perhaps they should make a mini-series about it, uh, a succession problem. There are no clear front runners. The Deputy Premier Roger Cook is having, has thrown his hat into the ring. Rita Safiotti, who's the Transport Minister, will throw, has thrown her hat in the ring and uh, is believed Amber Jade Sanderson, the Health Minister, will do so as well. Whoever they do elect, Jack, it ain't going to be the rock star. No, uh, but to be, but you get you get a job like that, um, and given that their current seat status, um, like the Liberals only hold two, don't they? Um, yeah. You're almost certainly going to win the next election, um, uh, and so you're going to get, you know, six years of uh, of, uh, of of being a premier. Yeah, look, uh, it's hard to see how the Liberal Party comes back. In fact, the opposition is, in fact, the WA Nationals, not linked to the Nationals um, in the uh, eastern seaboard. Um, look, there's one issue that's arisen, Jack, and that is the burnout factor on public figures. Um, we've had a number of resignations, kind of shock resignations from uh, world leaders recently. Um is the pressure getting too much? The social media inculcation, obviously, we had a pandemic. McGowan was subject to death threats. There were times when his car was surrounded by idiots. Um, is public life just getting too hard now to handle for long periods of time? Well, I was watching my WhatsApp feed yesterday. When this it doesn't seem to be affecting President Erdogan, by no, the way. When this announcement was made, um, uh, and the first question, the, the, the first cab off the rank was, is it a, a, a Nicola Sturgeon resignation? I, I, is, is there some, something messy about to, to land? Oh, and well, the second, yes. And, and the second one is, was it a Jacinda Ardern um, um, uh, resignation? Which there means, parallels I, I think that I think the ex resignation for the, the theory with that is that she had a good job coming up. And I said, well, um, uh, the ambassadorship to the United States is gone. The High Commissioner to the, U to the UK is gone. So they're the two best jobs. You're not going to get either of those out of the federal government. Um, look, I did know when we, we sort of think about our friends in the cooker movement, Jack, uh, there was an earthquake in Melbourne yesterday or Sunday morning as we record this. Uh, sorry, Monday morning uh, and uh, or, or late Sunday. Uh, and, um, and that with the McGowan resignation has spooked a lot of people in the conspiracy world. Uh, that yeah, I, I have a daughter who lives quite close to Sunbury, which is the epicentre of it, uh, and I heard from her. She said the dog barked and um, uh, <laughs> that was about it. Oh, yeah, look, uh, it was a relatively long thing. The wall shook for a while and cats got very scared. Um, but... Um, uh, yes, it's, uh, it, it, there was, uh, there was some posts that I did come across indicating that Dan Andrews had been arrested, Jack, and is currently oh, awaiting extradition to Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. And then the McGowan resignation occurred. So you can see how these people think and, and, and they've just gone bananas over this. Uh, I just think if you're a politician, like, like a prize fighter, it is best to bow on it, bow bow out on top, and uh, and and uh, McGowan clearly has done. Mark McGowan has clearly done that. Um, 
particularly state premiers, the job's sort of all-consuming because the government revolves around you to a much bigger extent than um, it does around a, a federal government revol- revolves around a prime minister. So it's a real yeah. 24-7 thing. Yeah. Um, and I can cert- that's why it would have been better off staying with the racing, gaming and the hotels. Um, <laughs> he probably he might have some liver problems, that's all. He might yeah. have one or two liver um, problems. And, and he might have burned through some money at the track. But um, the... Um, but the Premier's job is really tough. There's just no doubt about it because you are such a public figure. Yeah, indeed. Now, look, I just really want to stick with that with that metaphor of prize fighters, Jack, because like prize fighters, many politicians just cannot get the timing right. And there's always one more. There's always they can be dragged out for one more contest. Um, and uh, but McGowan has rejected all of that, and and so many of them, you know, get voted out rather than resign. Mm. Um, Most of them maybe get, almost all of them get voted out or, um, or 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 disposed of by their own party. Uh, look, you must. We must say uh, in in indeed, yeah, it's usually in the party room where it where it occurs. Um, uh, we must just quick, quickly say that uh, uh, McGowan's wife Sarah uh, looked very very happy at the announcement. Uh, it, just, it, uh, it meant that life <laughs> would return to some form of normality fairly soon. Hmm. Um, the Governor General's wife, Jack. What's she doing? She's a she's a songstress. She's she's belting out songs. She attends charity events, which is great, and it's part of her role. Uh, and then she writes a bit of writes a, writes some songs about them, Jack. It's very strange, isn't it? She was a primary school teacher, and uh, I, I, I discovered, and she looks just like she's singing and sounds just like she's singing <laughs> to the great. Exactly too. like that, yeah. But there have been some. It's a very odd thing for a governor general's wife. Very, to be doing. very strange, and and I have seen footage of, um, uh, you know, VIPs and guests at Yarralumla um, having to. Um, uh, sort of sit around and try and join in while she'll belt out a song, you know, and it really is that primary school classroom. Mm. Join with me now. You're not singing. You're not singing. Mm. But there have been some issues around David Hurley. I mean, uh, it, it, it ran in Senate estimates, I think, uh, over a week ago that uh, uh, Hurley's, uh, the, the, the Hurley's uh, daughter was married at, uh, at Yarralumla at the expense of the Hurley's. Um, they were given an invoice, I think, of some thirty-seven thousand uh, dollars, and uh, that was quickly repaid. And, and it was determined that no, no, uh, no breaches had been made of any uh, protocols or rules. Um, but at the same time, if uh, you and I wanted to get married, Jack, which we now lawfully can, uh, we wouldn't be allowed to trundle up the Yarralumla and get it done. No, we wouldn't. I think we're first cousins. We wouldn't be allowed. Would we? <laughs> We wouldn't. We wouldn't be allowed to reproduce, no. but we would be allowed to marry. Oh, okay. um, yeah, uh, there are other issues around uh, David Hurley in particular. Uh, I think that he came out in very mo- most um, uh, uh, unvice regal um, uh, promotion of a building company that had done some renovation work for him, um, which uh, he deeply regretted afterwards. The trouble with the role of the Governor-General is that no government in power or even in waiting wants to see a change. So the Governor-Generals can get get away with quite a lot, Jack. They can. No one wants to be the person who taps them on the shoulder and tells them you've got to go. 
Yeah, exactly right. Because it's that consistency, you know, it's the sort of devil you know. Um, and uh, as Gough Whitlam found out, uh, oh, I think this John Kerr would be a terrific, <laughs> a terrific appointment. Uh, it didn't end well, as we know. Uh, Gough was Gough was excellent at giving advice, not so good at taking it. <laughs> there you go. The voice, Jack, where are we now? I think the government is, is stuck to its uh, – has, has stuck to the, the wording of the question. Um, so uh, the voice will uh, – uh, if approved by the people uh, in a referendum and a date yet to be fixed, will uh, continue to advise the executive, or well, not continue, it will advise the executive and will advise the bureaucracy and will advise the parliament. So they've stuck to their guns. Um, the opposition or the no vote campaign seems to have done quite well. I did watch... Uh, um, uh, an interview with um, uh, with uh, the head of the No Vote, um, Warren Monday. Warren, yeah, with Walker, and uh, and and he was he seemed pretty. Hit. This was on NTIV, this is the Indigenous Network, or the Indigenous Channel. He seemed pretty pleased with where they were, with with where they are. I guess on on an assessment of polling, and I have to reluctantly agree with that. I think forty seven fifty three within a. Margin of error, that's 50-50. Yeah. That um, what, did, what did Mick Goodis say a couple of weeks ago? Um, yeah, uh, Noel had a crack at him. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like Mick, uh, He said, we can't afford to lose it. I know we've compromised all our lives, but right now we're at the pointy end, and if there needs to be a compromise to get over the line, let's do it. Um, and he got jumped on all of me. Yeah, from from Noel Pearson. He'd, he'd have made a great halfback flanker, Noel Pearson, wouldn't oh, he? You know? Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> look, he he has just got a fantastic, um, almost Keating like ability with an insult, uh, yeah, and, and a very great speaker as well. I, I, I take Another what, voice supporter, Sean Sean Gordon, Sean Gordon, said this: "It's up to the PM to determine if it's not winnable. He needs to make a decision about what is winnable for the Australian people." And I think that's pretty right. Um, and I think they haven't done that. I, I, I think Albanese's position he really has locked in behind. Uh, of course, there's a memorial service for uh, Unipingu um, uh, a week ago. And um, and 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 uh, the prime minister's comments have have just reinforced that he what what Unipingu wanted is what uh, he will support. So I think mm. he's very locked in now. He is. Uh, um, I, I think that's an error, but it's been made now, and the consequences will fall fall where they fall where I, they will. I, I really don't, and we're not going to touch on it today. But if this referendum is lost, I, I don't know where we go with reconciliation. In this country, I don't know where we go from that. So it is absolutely critical. Um, I agree; it's going to be very difficult, um, which is why I think more needed to be do to get this right, and it hasn't been done. All right. Uh, watching it uh, very carefully, you have been Jack the uh, the inquiry, the Sofronoff inquiry into the um, into the Lehman case and the ACT. The police yep. have all been through uh, the witness box now, Jack. Um, how did they get on? Uh, they went better than uh, Mr. Drumgold, but that's a that's a pretty low bar to get over, isn't it? You know, and that's Shane uh, Drumgold, the uh, the ACT the, prosecutor. 
Yeah, the, the, the is he still part. down? Has he is he is he stood down? Uh, well, he, he he stood himself down. He, he, he took himself, right. he took himself, himself off one lead. Um, so they went okay. Um, they came out with a few bruises, um, but um, but did pretty well. Um, your pal uh, Steve Rice. Um, yeah, Rice he wrote a good was, piece about this on Saturday. Yeah, it, it was excellent. Um, he pointed out that um, the police walked back their criticisms of um, or most of their criticisms of the. Uh, victims of crime, Commissioner Heidi Yates, um, uh, and but she goes in the witness box um, this week, I think. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out. But look, I'm told um, Shrofanov is a is a first class lawyer, one of the best in the country, um, and we just have to wait and see what how how he plays the, the, the game. I mean, it's in good hands. Representing Mr. Drumgold, and this was uh, uh, highlighted by Ricey on, on the weekend, uh, he's none other than Mark Tedeschi, Jack. Yep. Uh, the man who prosecuted Ivan Malat. Yes. I think he also may have prosecuted Nettie Smith too, although he may have actually represented Nettie. I'm, I don't, yeah, I'll need to I'd need to check that, so I don't want to – I've been around for a very long time. So, so the ACT prosecutor has Mark Tedeschi. Uh, and uh, um, the, the policeman agreed under Tedeschi's questioning uh, that Moller had not been wrong in his approach to the case. It was a rare concession by Moller, but in any case, a moot point. All parties to the inquiry, including police, have agreed Drumgold was within his rights to prosecute Learman. And as you say, the matter will now uh, await the determination. More evidence yeah, so, to come so, this week. So, so um, Shrofanov um, has stood back and said, We're, "They're all in the in the courtroom." Uh, and he says, "Does anyone want to take anyone want to take issue with whether um, uh, he had uh, uh, w- w- was within his rights to prosecute?" And there was silence. Uh, and he let the silence flow for a while. Um, mm-hmm. But as as Stephen Rice points out, the issue goes beyond that. It's to whether um, he overstepped the mark. In, in prosecuting, and uh, and Rice's view is that Tedeschi's been unable to shake the impression that his client, Mr. Drumgold, was caught up in the fervour of the Me Too movement, leading him to into fundamental errors in his handling of the case. So that's mm. the that's the big issue that's still alive for mine. Right, and and of course it it, it also puts a spotlight on the role or the relationship between prosecutors and police, which is often a bit vexed anyway, isn't it? Between? Um, it's probably gone the other way here. What, what we often see is the police are very keen to prosecute, but a prosecutor will say, no, you don't have all your ducks in a row yet, yeah. uh, and then uh, go back and do some more work. That, that's, a, that's often. So, so they are two separate entities. Yep. Uh, and they don't necessarily collaborate and coordinate and um, and uh, get on all that well. They're not always singing from the same song sheet. That's, that's for sure. A beautiful, a beautiful. Um, and and, uh, like and, and Shrofanov may have some suggestions to make about that when he when he files his report. Speaking of uh, claims, Jack Lydia Thorpe has got some claims against the Greens. We don't quite know what they are, but uh, apparently the Greens might be a bit racist, Jack, according to Lydia. Well, that's what she says, um, uh, and um, she's she's all gearing up to march off to the court. She says, "Really, that will be interesting." Um, she uh, she had a uh, superb- that'll be standing room only in the court if that actually ever happened. <laughs> well, well, there is an in- there is already 
or now that she's gone, there is an Indigenous member of um, of Parliament representing the Greens. Um, uh, what I love, going back a few months now, is when she was still a member of the Greens and the spokesperson for Indigenous Affairs, she just turned around to all her colleagues and said, everything about the voice, I'm the only one allowed to talk about it, including their leader, Adam Band, hmm. who went, yeah, yeah, no, that's right, that's right. You know, and um, and and it was very clear to uh, to all Greens. Um, I guess we can call them a caucus. Uh, very to all members of the Greens federal caucus that uh, that it, it, the situation didn't work. And apparently Lydia Thorpe came came. They they had a retreat, Jack, and um, and uh, over the course of that weekend, uh, Lydia determined that she was pretty much on her own in her opposition to the Voice. Um, and, I'm not uh, surprised they had a retreat. We, we used to have them at my Catholic boarding school and the Greens resemble um, a, a sort of a quasi-religion in that regard. Um, Lydia's not a party person. She needs to be no. a party of one. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. She had a nice old screaming that, match in That can be a good week. thing, um, you know, um, but she's a Brian Harradine, um, Ted Mack sort of person. She's an independent, independent. Yeah, she had a uh, had a stand up shouting match in estimates there. I think it was with Marion Scrigmore, but I may be wrong. It might have been McCarthy, um, but uh, and McCarthy ended up saying, uh, "Well, was yelling out, you, <laughs> you ought to be ashamed of yourself.' You know, they were both screaming at each other, telling each other they should be ashamed of themselves." And um, and uh, and then afterwards they said, "No, no, we can still work together," which I thought was really funny. Um, the Pricewaterhouse Coopers brouhaha is not going away, Jack, uh, with no. PwC. Under fire, uh, now they have said, directed nine of its partners to take their gardening leave, mate. Go and get the dog washed and uh, go and tend to the garden while we have a good look into this. Mm. Where's this going to um, end, Jack? They're trying very hard to get on top of it. I saw they'd sent a letter, um, issued a public letter, which was, Oh, it's a bit too long. I think it was three pages. And, uh, <laughs> that's too a, long from for public yeah, letter. Yeah, who's reading that? Yeah, um, yeah. no one's going to read past about the first two paragraphs. So, uh, you, you, you know, um, uh, what did um, the great story about Churchill during World War Two? Um, uh, even on serious matters, he would send off a memo to someone: "Please answer me in half one type, one half type page." Of quarto size, no more. You know, if you can't give me the answer in that, you're sacked. Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan used to get the five minute videos, Jack. So, yeah. um, so he'd get across an issue, uh, particularly in the second, uh, in his second uh, uh, term as president. Um, <clears throat> I mean, besides the loss of confidence in uh, the Australian bureaucracy that's occurring around these issues of um, of consultancies and what have you. Uh, this, um, I think PwC thought, oh, no, this isn't much of a problem at all, but now they realise it is. Oh, no, I think they thought it was serious, um, but, but, but perhaps they haven't handled it quite as well as they might have. Mm. All right. Um, now we move uh, over to the United States, Jack, and uh, the debt limit deal has been reached. I'll just start by saying it's one of, the, one of Biden's actual strengths, isn't it? You know, his... He's he's got an ability to negotiate across the across the divide, um, perhaps uh, much better than Barack Obama ever was. 
perhaps in the same league as the Clintons? Although when there was a debt limit stoush on in Barack Obama's time as president and Joe was vice president, <coughs> Harry Reid, who was the president of the um, uh, the it was the Democrat, yep, uh, uh, of the Senate, uh, leading Democrat in the Senate, um, uh, he told uh, Barack Obama that look, we'll sit down and deal with you, but as long as Biden's not in the room. Well, I, I, I hear it a little differently, Jack, and <coughs> that. Um uh, if we have uh, such a thing as a teledex these days, Biden's teledex is full of people from mm. both sides of politics. He can ring them up, he can speak to them at any given time. In any event, we have a debt limit deal reached. And uh, look, reading in the Washington Post today, some of the climate change activists are pretty unhappy with it because uh, it takes away some of the what was the what was the major spending bill that got through the. Uh, uh, got through the Biden administration. The Inflation Reduction Act. Yes, which... Amusingly amusingly named. <laughs> yeah, which is amusingly named because it's, it does involve quite a lot of spending. Mm. Um, but um, uh, but a deal has been reached. It must go through the Congress, Jack, by June 7. All government bureaucracy shuts down and hell, hell on earth takes place in global markets. And it will. You think it'll go through? Yes. It seems like it seems like it has the support of moderate Republicans. Where do you think uh, the wonderful um, uh, uh, Congresswoman for Georgia uh, would uh, sit on this, Jack? Do you think she'll be voting yes or no? Um, uh, you mean Marjorie Taylor Greene, MTG? Yeah, oh, doesn't do matter. Think? She's 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 the Lydia Thorpe of the of the Republicans. <laughs> she's a part, in a party of one, really. She was the acting um, acting speaker. Uh, in the in the house just last week, Jack. Did you? I don't know if you saw any footage of it. It's very funny. Yeah, I did. Uh, she banged the gavel, demanding <laughs> demanding that there be some order, and insisting that this uh, that the Congress or the House was uh, was a place where uh, uproar and upheaval is unacceptable. Hmm. After practicing quite a bit of it herself, I think she's still. I don't know if she's still carrying the shooter into the house, but uh, she was uh, doing that a, a fair bit. And the big news, of course, is that RDS is formally in the campaign, had a bit of a shambolic um, uh, launch uh, that he arranged with Elon Musk, a sort of public uh, town hall meeting where the announcement was made. And, of course, they have a server overloads and all sorts of embarrassment. The issue that I would have say about that is that everyone's talking about it, so therefore it wasn't a bad thing. Um and uh, and he did uh, raise quite a lot of small donor money in the wake of it, a million dollars in the first hour, Jack. Yeah, so the battle mi- is eight on. Million, eight million for the day, I think. Eight million for the day, a million for in the first hour, and those just that those are piddling amounts of money. DeSantis doesn't really need the money. What he needs is that small. Uh, small donor group because it yeah, locks it, in sort of grassroots report. It, it wasn't that it was eight million; it was eight million from small donors. Yeah, it'd be eight million it is, from eight million people. Well, not quite, but um, but uh, perhaps two million people. Let's say, um, <clears throat> and so um, yeah, so that you know, overall, it, it it ended reasonably well. The Trumpster, unsurprisingly, got stuck, got the caps lock out. Got, gave it a good hard press and just started slamming away at Ron DeSanctimonious. And, uh, and, uh, has, uh, recently and rather oddly, in my opinion, uh, described, uh, DeSantis as being responsible for a woke Disney. I don't know quite sure how that works. 
it's, well, well, Donald's not sure which side he's on in the Disney dispute. He keeps veering backwards and forwards, depending how the wind's blowing. Well, let me just tell you, Jack, and this just popped up, but Target, uh, oh, no, sorry, sorry, no, not Target. God, now I'm getting confused with a rather lovely uh, video from Brent Tahoon, comedian Brent Tahoon, um, uh, over the weekend. But we now have the... We now have Make America Great Again Pride Tees. Oh, God, I wish there was a date on this because it says Trump Pence. So it probably means 2016, uh, no, 2020, that uh, the Trumpster was actually knocking out a bit of gear with all the rainbow stuff on it, Jack. Was he really? Oh, there you go. <laughs> I've just seen someone's popped it up, but it was 2020 because it's it's um, and, and they make America great again in in vibrant rainbow colours, baseball caps, t-shirts, all that sort of stuff. And to be fair, DeSantis has got his work cut out. Trump's got about a 30 point lead in the for in the polling for the nationally nomination. Only 31, um, isn't it? The nationally 31. And if we look at Iowa and uh, New Hampshire, which are the two early primary states of Iowa caucus, um, I think he's 20 odd points down in, in Iowa and uh, um, a similar amount in New Hampshire. I just can't think of the specifics. But yeah, got some work to do, hasn't he? It's certainly doable, but it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a bruising nomination battle. Um, uh, but uh, uh, we can tell that the Democrats think DeSantis is a chance because they're all over him like a back flanker, you know? Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, uh, f- for mine, DeSantis has to develop. I mean, I've been reading some stuff in the in WAPO and New York Times, Politico, et cetera, just recently, and they're all saying that a large group of um, candidates for the Republican primary will suit Donald Trump. Uh, I presume that's, you know, looking at 2016 and how that all sort of fell apart for those other candidates. Um, uh, But I think DeSantis in particular needs to develop a strategy on how to deal with Trump. And I think it could take two forms. It's either roll roll the shirt sleeves up and get stuck in verbally or rise above. But his early announcement, well, his, his announcement and and his subsequent media stuff has been barely to mention Trump at all, and I think that's a mistake. Your thoughts? Oh, I think he's playing it playing it reasonably well at the moment. Yeah. I think he's got to get stuck in. He's got to get stuck in before the debates. He's got to get stuck in, and he's got to, he's got to actually give give Trump a bit bit of a slap. That's my view. He, he's he's got to build some momentum, and and I think he will. Um, uh, I think the thing that the Democrats are worried about is that if he gets through the semi-final against Trump and gets in the final, um, all he's going to have to do is stay on his feet, uh, and I think that's right. It's probably um, uh, some, 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 some that's, that's the prevailing the, wisdom anyway. But there's some, a lot can go some, wrong in the meantime, isn't there? Of course it can. Stuff can always go. I wrong. mean, I'm not he, just talking he about might the he might but, end up like Scott Walker, who who can't tra- who can't translate his um, uh, state um, uh, political career into a national one. But um, DeSantis is a long way in front of any other state governor I can remember. Um, he's already neck and neck with Biden in the polling for a presidential election if he gets there, um, and that's very early to be for a state governor to be um, neck and neck with an incumbent president. Yeah, it probably reflects a bit more on the um, uh, very 
ordinary approval ratings for Biden, I think. You it know, does. That, that if you ask someone, uh, would you like Biden or would you like Hong Kong Jack, they're probably going to go for Hong Kong Jack and they don't really know who Hong Kong Jack is. Um, so that's that's where I think that, that a lot of that polling's coming from. But, um, yeah, I think he's going to need a way of dealing with Trump because Trump's going to do the old vaudeville routine in primary debates and, and that sort of stuff, and he really needs to develop a, a mechanism for dealing with that. And it's either get stuck in, get your hands dirty and throw, 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 a, bit of, throw a bit of mud around yourself or uh, rise above, but you can't ignore you can't ignore Donald Trump. That's just ridiculous stuff. Um, that's for him to sort out. By the way, um, if you're reading the New York Times, Politico, and the Washington Post, you need to take a leaf out of your employer's book and start reading the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post. Uh, oh, and, uh, look, I do, as well. I do, I do. In fact, I <laughs> you need to yes. broaden your reading there, mate. <laughs> no, no, no. I do read the Wall Street Journal every day, but it was those three WAPO, uh, NYT, and Politico who who, who asserted. Uh, that uh, a large primary uh, field would uh, suit Trump. There were three pieces that ran almost simultaneously across those three yeah. media. It, uh, it, it is a little bit different. Well, well they, they all sing from the same song sheet all the time, the three of us. It is a little bit different to 2016 in the sense that um, uh, Trump's got a big lead. Um, uh, he's 30 points in front of DeSantis, but DeSantis is in his 20s. Um, no one else is over four or five. Yeah, we've got Nikki Haley. Uh, uh, who Nikki else Haley might be five and everyone else is less yeah. than that. Yeah, that's about it. Um, Mike Pence is three. Well, he hasn't even announced. Pompeo hasn't announced. Um, and that's what I think these articles were alluding to, whether that would be. Who's the other one? This sort of odd person who's in there. Um, 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 almost a uh, sort of um, almost a joke candidate. Um, anyway. Uh, not to worry, um, because uh, we're moving on now to the Ukraine. Uh, now, Jack, just in the last couple of days, um, uh, missiles and drone attacks have occurred around Kiev uh, at night. Uh, Zelensky on Monday morning our time, it was a day ago as we record this, came out and applauded uh, and praised the, uh, uh, the the military responsible for their uh, uh, missile defence systems, but there were some casualties and uh, there were some buildings struck. Um, And that would seem to me to be the Russian way of putting pressure on what we know now from from, uh, US uh, intelligence uh, assessments uh, is that uh, Ukraine's uh, missile defence systems are becoming weakened. Uh, so that would explain the heightened attacks that last couple of days from the Russian military, and it is all in advance of its long ex- uh, Ukraine's long ex- expected counteroffensive, uh, uh, armed really to the back teeth by NATO nations, uh, led by the United States. They've got the Abrahams tanks there, Jack. They've been training people on new new weapon systems. And uh, the uh, counteroffensive will happen not within a week. It will happen within days, I would think. It might actually be going on as we speak. It will happen very, very soon. Yes. <coughs> so we're saying. 
So it would seem we'll have. There, there are other reports too, and this must there must be said comes from the Ukrainian um, um, uh, 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 Defence Department, is that there have been reports of um, Wagner Group mercenaries withdrawing from Bakhmut, um, <clears throat> and uh, well, it doesn't seem to be much worth fighting for in Bakhmut anymore. Any anyway, it would only be a symbolic. Thing, um, it, it, Bakhmut will probably change hands as a result of this counteroffensive. Um, um, the um, the only other the thing we can say with any group, certainty, uh, Wagner Group coming back from the front lines and being replaced by uh, more expendable um, uh, reserve troops, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, that's what would seem to be the case, and and, and also which, is, which seems to be the, the, the Russian tactic really will be: we've got superiority in numbers. Um, and we've got superiority in time. The Ukrainians um, have uh, a superiority in equipment at the moment, um, but that relies on a, a never-ending supply and lots and lots of money being spent by the West. And the, and the Russians, I would think, would would expect that they can outweigh that. I think there's another thing you're missing there, Jack. <coughs> Excuse me. That's <coughs> morale of troops. Uh, and it... You know, I would expect the Ukrainian morale to be absolutely top. Uh, 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 you know, that we might call it the sort of the pressure gauge, if you like. Um, but Russian conscripts are not likely to be um, uh, as uh, fervent about their jobs. So I think that's another thing. All we can say with any certainty is that this counteroffensive will occur at some point in south uh, or eastern Ukraine, southeastern Ukraine. Uh, and uh, and you know, with all of the all of the weaponry that they now, they now have, I've been talking about the M1 Abrams tank. It is far faster, far more manoeuvrable than anything the Russians have, uh, and uh, and with with longer range than their weapons. So it's going to be very interesting. It's going to happen. Really, it may actually have occurred before we actually go to air, Jack. Uh, before you before you hear this, that's right. Yeah, so uh, that is coming, and uh, we'll certainly be following that up in future episodes. Um, look, you sent me a bit of a link in the Daily Mail, not known for their foreign service reporting, Jack. Uh, generally speaking, but um, uh, they did have a piece in there by uh, a bloke from Chatham House, who's probably not all that memorable. I don't want to be rude to the man, but. Uh, he reckons uh, regime change in Russia, the ousting of Putin, would actually make things much worse than better. Well, that was a speculative, speculative position. Can I just explain, if it was in the Daily Mail, there's a, sort of about a 60% chance it was stolen from somewhere else. <laughs> so they can be a, on a reliable source of, um, uh, of news reporting, provided you understand, provided you read it and say, well, they wouldn't have written that themselves. They would, no. just, pick, they would have just lifted it from some, some other poor schmuck. Vladimir um, Putin, is, I've never heard of him. He's not in Hollywood. He's not, uh, you know, it doesn't fit that sort of celebrity stuff that they do. Um, but um, but look, it's a reasonable. I mean, it, it's a reasonable thing to, to 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 discuss what happens if Putin is ousted. But, but let me just say, let's just stick with the fact that Putin hangs around. Or Putin hangs around, or Putin doesn't drops off the branch. Whatever happens, Russia is going to be a pariah state for a very very long time to the west for a very very long time, and. and even if they pulled the pin and said, all right, we're going to have an armistice and we're going to sort it all out, we're going to go back to our uh, uh, February 2022 borders, uh, then um, 
uh, they'd still be a pariah for a, for, a, for a period of time anyway. So the longer this goes, that longer that pariah um, um, uh, that pariah uh, character uh, character is going to stick with them, economic pariah. I did see uh, what she's known for goes, and the uh, the Wagner Group uh, leader suggested that Russia needed to be more like North Korea for a couple of years. Jack, did you see that? Uh, I did see that. Yes, <laughs> that's that's really not. I don't think that's going to boost anybody's. Um, uh, <coughs> it's not going to be a great boost for 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 national pride in Russia, is it? Having people uh, eating, well, uh, well, uh, Russian TV and grass. will have to have. Um, uh, um, cooking shows on how to uh, what to do with bark. <laughs> cooking with bark. All mm. uh, right. Well, yeah, the uh, counteroffensive will be underway very, very soon, <clears throat> and we'll keep a very close eye on that. Uh, uh, Jack uh, Sky News in the UK is reporting that French the, the French government has banned short haul flights. We're going to make him catch the train. So Paris and Nantes, 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 I think it is, is the right pronunciation. Now, Lyon and Bordeaux, for example, they're about two and a half hours by train. I think Nantes is uh, a little bit uh, quicker than that. Um, that's where you've got to go. You've got to jump on the much-famed um, uh, very fast rail in France. Yeah. Um, you know, today is 45 years um, since the May 68 riots, and I think it was on – but the day we're recording is, what's this, the 30th of May? Yeah. Um, that Charles de Gaulle dissolved the National Assembly um, and uh, told the striking workers that he would declare a state of emergency within two days unless they got, if they didn't get back to work. Um, a momentous, he sort of basically stared down a revolution, did Charles de Gaulle. Charles de Gaulle. Um, we should have a chat about 1968 generally at some stage in the future. Right, but meanwhile, uh, what what would this do for some of the airlines uh, in 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 France? Not just French airlines, but other commercial people movers. Um, it uh, it's going to mess up their business plans a bit, isn't it? Business it will. models. Uh, catch the train if you're in France. Does that actually go for uh, very wealthy people getting around in private jets, Jack? Oh, these things never affect very wealthy people <laughs> in private jets. <laughs> I can't imagine how it would. You might remember there's a there's an app now which Elon Musk was very annoyed about, uh, which which uh, cover uh, which covers the uh, the flight paths of celebrity private jet flights, and some of them were fifteen minutes, Jack. Um, <laughs> Santa the, the Barbara that- to San Francisco uh, to uh, Santa Barbara to, to LA. Yeah, some of them were sort of from one side of LA to the other side of LA. You know, <laughs> it does seem a little. Excessive. I know the tra- I know the traffic's bad there, but really, you know. Yeah, you got the big comfy cars too. They don't uh, get around Toyota Corollas. Uh, 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 Jack, uh, India, um, a government official in- <laughs> has been uh, suspended after he ordered a reservoir to be drained to retrieve his phone. Jack, you would have lost a few phones in your time. A couple in the cab. Yeah, that sort well, of thing. I've actually got a couple. I've got one back in Hong Kong. This wouldn't happen in Sydney, I can tell you. But uh, left a phone in a taxi, and um, the taxi driver actually bought it back and left it at the, um, the security uh, box downstairs. You know. Um, uh, well, I don't know about uh, don't know about Sydney, but Melbourne. I called an Uber, uh, and I was heavily refreshed. Uh, and this wasn't so long ago. I was heavily refreshed and got back to my hotel. And uh, 
uh, realised I've left the phone behind. And and uh, the guy in the Uber made every attempt to, to get hold of me about 24 hours later. Um, uh, by that stage, I'd already popped down to the Vodafone shop and got myself a new phone. So I just told him to get rid of it. Um, so, uh, but, yes, but uh, honesty this- does exist. But this one's a little bit different, Jack, because the blokes actually, it's not just, you know, call a cab, call an Uber. This is... This is a bloke who's just uh, demanded that uh, this reservoir be drained, millions of litres of water pumped out of it. Did they find the phone? They did find the phone, but unfortunately it it was a bit damp and didn't work. (laughs) They don't like water. They tend not to like water, these things. You You can whack them in a plastic bag in the freezer. Now don't don't trust me on this too much, but it will sort of it will just it will shift a lot of the water. The other thing you can do is put it in a big um, packet of rice, Jack, and that will. Uh, so I'm told. Anyway, this fellow was a, a local food inspector, so he had some government <laughs> authority, and he said, "Open the open the gates. We're going to drain this lake and find my phone." <laughs> the divers were called in; they couldn't find it, mm. and that's when the diesel pump came in. Oh, he's an environmental terrorist as well. Uh, he said he had verbal permission, permission from an official to drain some water into a nearby canal, adding that the official said it would, in fact, benefit the farmers who would have more water. The pump ran for several days, emptying out roughly 2 million litres, uh, enough to irrigate 600 hectares of farmland. His mission was stopped when another official from the Water Resource Department arrived following a complaint. And uh, the quote, which I just love here, is, he has been suspended until an inquiry. Water is an essential resource and it cannot be wasted like this. Yeah, he said He said that there was um, official, official um, information on the phone, which is why it had to be retrieved, but really he should have taken a leaf out of your book and uh, skipped down to the local Vodafone and picked up a Newey. Pick up a Newey and it, you'll find everything that you had there is uh, that you had there and thought you'd lost is actually still there. Um, uh, Turkey Jack, uh, as we predicted, boldly Turkey-a, predicted. Turkey, whatever it's called. Yeah, Turkey, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Turkeya. Turkeya. Yes, yes, we need to be. Yeah, it's Turkey. Mm. It is Turkey. No matter what Erdogan. It's an Erdogan. Uh, it was an Erdogan push, by the way, this move yeah. away from Turkeya. And it followed some pressure from some of his exporters. that uh, People were mocking Turkey, and so it had to be called Turkeya. But as we boldly predicted uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, President Erdogan has been re-elected. Uh, in the runoff, uh, 52-48 pretty much. Um, and uh, I, I would hazard a guess, Jack, that if the opposition ever had a chance to knock him off, uh, this this was the one that went bagging. Yep, they missed it. What's it mean for the West, Jack? What's it mean for NATO? Uh, well, he's been around a long time. Um, uh, what did he, he started out, he went to jail first up. He was jailed for inciting religious violence, I think. First yes. Up. And then he turned that, he got a bit of publicity out of that and became mayor of Istanbul and then he became prime minister of Turkey. Um, and then I think he was the, the first president who was actually elected by a national popular vote. So he's been a transformative figure in um, Turkish politics um, and remains um, uh, very popular. Um, but what it means for the West is tricky to know. Um, he's not a very predictable ally, 
mm. um, uh, for anybody. We suggested last week, I think two weeks ago, that uh, NATO, will, NATO and the EU and the US, etc., will at least say, well, it, it, he's, he's, he's the bastard we know. Um, yeah, but but even, but even when he's the bastard, we know he's the bastard. He's We're not never quite sure what he's going to do. He's still a bit unpredictable, and of course, there there are some uh, unresolved matters, including um, the uh, Swede and Finn entrance into NATO, which he's jumped yep. up and down about, particularly the Swedes. Uh, and uh, you might want to explain what that's all about, Jack. That's because uh, that's that's about the Turkish. Um, uh, nationals Kurds. who are resident in uh, in Sweden, some of whom are Kurdish mm-hmm. um, and um, are supporters of, I forget the name of the party, the Kurdish Workers' Party, I think it is. KWP, which is a listed terrorist organisation yeah. in Australia, Jack. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that's the background there and um, uh, many people around the world consider the, uh, the Kurds to be great freedom fighters, but... Uh, the KWP was involved in a lot of terrorism, um, bombings and so forth throughout Turkey. Yeah, it's a complicated area, isn't it, it is, really? It is a bit complicated. The Finns, Jack. What did, what was it? I think it was Churchill said of the Balkans, a very similar area, that unfortunately the Balkans produced more history than it could consume locally. <laughs> it's a nice way of saying perpetual conflict. Um, the Finns we just mentioned before, Jack, you would have thrown a bloody garden party over this. Uh, they've just opened a nuclear reactor, the Ol Kaluto. Oh, no. Finnish is a devilishly difficult language, Jack. The, the, they've just I'm, opened I'm, their nuclear reactor. Only 14 I'm, years took to build. On, on matters finish, I'm still in mourning because they got rid of the Prime Minister, but... Um, yeah, that was that was that was wrong. But look, they, they, so, so they, they, uh, in terms of just pure aesthetics, um, pro, uh, prices for Finnish power have plunged. It's it's actually the uh, the Luto, I think that's probably the best pronunciation you'll get from me in Finnish today. Uh, the, the the number three nuclear reactor. It's actually been running for a year under testing, but uh, as of uh, uh, the middle of April, it's been online. And uh, prices plunged um, uh, 0.3 cents per kilowatt hour in Finland, Jack. It has. It took them hardly any time to build it. No, only the 14 years. And interestingly enough, it came around about the same time that uh, the Germans decommissioned their three nuclear reactors. But guess who built the Finnish reactor, Jack? Well, I don't know. The South Koreans? French and German Consortium. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So they are very pleased and proud of their uh, of their uh, nuclear reactor. Uh, I did see it's on uh, it's on the Baltic there somewhere, um, and uh, that it will lift Finnish uh, energy or the uh, contribution of nuclear to um, uh, in Finland to uh, to French levels up to around sixty percent, Jack. 60% of all electricity generated in Finland will come from nuclear as a result of this. As, as a result of this. And, and, and the Finns are very high consumers of electricity, probably because it's so cold. It's a little bit cool there. It gets a little bit cool uh, in the winter months uh, and a little bit dark for very long periods. Just to go through that uh, current 
mix. In fact, this is a 2021 uh, of, of Finland. 236 uh, of, uh, of their electricity generation is new, was nuclear. It's likely to go up to as high as 60. Hydro, 15.8. Biofuels and waste, 14.2. Wind, 8.1. Coal, 5.3. Uh, 7% natural gas. Uh, oil, next to nothing. And solar, next to nothing. So there you go. That's the breakdown on uh, on Finland there, Jack. And we're going to move over to Japan and energy. And Japan uh, is not unique, but it is um, remarkable in that is a you know net importer of of energy. Um, not a net importer. It, it requires just about every form of uh, fuel to be brought into the country. Um, tell us a little bit about what you know about Japan's energy requirements, Jack. Well, the renewables are making a bit of a, um, a, a, a moving up the chain, if you yeah, like, they are. Yeah. but but um, fairly slowly. slowly. And, um, and not as highly as projected on my reading of it. No, no. Um, um, so so the, the predictions, I'm a bit of an evidence-based man rather than projection man, but sometimes you've got to look at them at least. Um, uh, on the projections... Uh, by 2030, they think renewables might be around 38%. Right. Um, but that would still mean, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, coal and um, uh, and gas making up a decent chunk of it. Yeah, and there's nuclear, of course, um, which is um, um, a bit vexed uh, with the Fukushima um, uh, leak um, in uh, what, 2011, wasn't it? 2011. It- Time flies there. Um, uh, <coughs> just to go so, over. So, so, so I've got a question for some of our listeners who I know think I'm nuts um, as they made me into a meme at one stage. I think I'm, I think I'm a bit nuts on, um, uh, on climate on energy, change. And, yeah. Uh, oh, it has been said. It has been yeah, said. Yeah. Uh, here's a question for you. Because uh, I'm kind of open-minded about this, but I'm an evidence-based person rather than a guesswork-based person. All those years as a lawyer, it turns you into that. Um, at the moment in Australia, we say, "Well, look, you know, coal's a stranded asset, and you know, and, and gas is not very far, in, not very far in front of that." Well, and that's all predicated that. on the basis that demand for Australian or those Australian products is going to diminish. The way I see it at the moment is that renewables are increasing at a pretty good rate, and they are taking up all of the new demand for energy as energy demand increases worldwide, uh, leaving fossil fuels at about the same level. Now, what I'd like to know is when that's really got, when renewables are going to really start to lower that figure, you know, is it going to be 2030, 2050, 2060? Um, I think we're. Because, well, I think we sort of reached the peak last year. I think that, that you know. But, so well, let's let's so let's just let, so let, let's just let our Europe. listeners come up with an answer. All right, well, that's fine. But now you've got now you've got Europe. Basically, across Europe, you've got forty percent renewables. That's kind of where we are. And Japan, although slowing, um, thirty six to thirty eight by twenty thirty. That's about where Australia is, by the way, too, in terms of renewable contribution. But I don't know that I agree with the term stranded asset in regard to coal or indeed uh, gas. I don't think they're stranded assets. I think they will continue to contribute to the energy mix around the world, uh, particularly in the developing world for some period, some period of time. I agree with you on that. But 
Um, but you will see those shares start to change, those con- contributing shares. That's why I've just mentioned the Finnish one. And we'll go through the Japanese one, which is just I've got a breakdown of their energy mix, just to give you an idea, and we'll, we'll sort of keep in touch with this, hopefully over a period of time. Um, I did their, uh, let me just find it, uh, their 2022, uh, according to the International Energy Agency, the share of renewables was about 15% in 2016, increased by more than 1% point, uh, 1% per year. Uh, now is at 20, 22%, or it was in 2021, but only increased by 0.3% in 2022 this is what we're talking about this slowing down among these solar power generated uh, generation accounted for nearly 10 percent of electricity uh, 9.3 percent in the previous year um, they're getting very little from wind um, hydroelectricity was down um, from 7.1 percent of their total uh, electricity contributions down from 7.8 um, uh, and um uh, by month, the share of electricity generated from renewables is highest in May, uh, which is a warm period in Japan. So that's their mix at the moment. I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to find what coal contributes and um, what gas contributes. And it's about nineteen um, percent coal, nineteen percent coal, and and then um, uh, and then oil. I think and gas is, and gas is a little bit smaller than the, the coal yeah, at the moment, but, but the gas is going up faster as well. Yeah, all right. Okay. Well, we'll just keep an eye on this. We, we won't just sort of do this every week. Look at, you know, major sort of OECD countries and look at their energy mix, and it's just going to be interesting to see how those change over but, time. But but there's the, there's the challenge for our for our critic. I, I quite enjoy getting some criticism, I've got to say, um, and I love the meme, um, but um, there's the challenge for you. Tell me what year it will have a significant impact on Australian Fossil fuel export exports. I think it's begun. I think it's begun. I think I think we reached peak coal well, in twenty twenty. I mean, significant. You know, twenty five percent drop in Australian fossil fuel exports would be a good good benchmark. Well, look, let's presume that something of that order happens, Jack. Then, then really, the mining industry has to turn itself around. No, you probably need some government support. That Australia's got a whole bunch of stuff that's going to be really important to rip out of the ground uh, as we go into a future. I mean, we've talked about uh, lithium, for example. We've talked about uh, um, various rare metals that uh, that are absolutely sought after. And Australia's got a pretty good future in those alone. Yes. All right. So we'll stick with that. It's a good thing to do. We might have a look at Canada next week, Jack, and uh, and perhaps Mexico and the OECD, both both OECD countries. Um, so uh, I've made a little bit of a note there. We'll look at their energy mix, how it's changed and how it might change into the future. Um, and uh, we'll keep going with that. We might want to have a look at Australia at some point too, mate. And we certainly will. Uh, and moving on to Sport Jack, we're there already. Um, Meg Lanning, the wonderful captain of Australia, the great cricketer, probably, as I've argued, the most successful sporting team in the world right now. Uh, over well, and over a protracted period where they've just dominated their opposition. Uh, Meg Lanning very sadly returns has returned home with uh, what is described by uh, Cricket Australia's health issues. 
best dealt with in Australia. Um, and we don't want to pry too much, but Meg, of course, had a, had a bit of a, a sit-out of the game for a little while there uh, to uh, refresh yourself mentally. Uh, Alyssa Healy will con- captain the women's squad. Uh, they have a one-off test uh, beginning on the 22nd uh, to the 27th of June. We talk about burnout factor, Jack. When I look at someone like Meg Lanning, I think, Meg, you're probably too hard on yourself. Yeah, um, might be time to put the feet up. Yeah, look, yeah, I, I mean, look, she's just a wonderful cricketer. She's been a fantastic leader. Uh, Lisa Healy's a, a wonderful cricketer too. She'll she'll captain and wicket keep. Jack, it's one of those things that never was allowed to happen in the old days, or very no, rare. No, very rarely. Um, I think. Um, Oh, Brian Tabor, captain the test for uh, yeah, Australia. Yeah, test here and there. Adam Gilchrist might uh, uh, captain a test here and there. Um, uh, I think he did in India, didn't he, when Steve Waugh was out injured? Um, or Ricky Ponting, mm-hmm. I think, was out injured. Um, um, uh, think- yeah, look, uh, we just wish uh, Meg Lanning uh, well. She's been a wonderful mm-hmm. uh, ambassador for Australia and for the game of cricket for a long period of time. Hope hope she's well and hope she makes a full recovery and she's out belting the ball to the boundary uh, as soon as possible, Jack. Mm. It's a huge uh, winter of cricket, Southern Hemisphere winter. Um, The uh, Test Championship on June 7, only uh, eight more sleeps, Jack. Um, And being broadcast live, free to air on Channel 7 in Australia. Um, uh, that uh, the the the, squ- the squads have been announced, um, and uh, uh, not a lot of surprises there. It looks like Scott Boland is the preferred seamer ahead of Josh Hazelwood. If he is, I mean, uh, uh, it, Josh Hazelwood, if he can sort of prove his fitness, but he's had some fitness issues. Uh, of late, so it would seem like Scott Boland, if, if, if Josh Hazelwood doesn't play, Scott Boland will replace him as the as the third quick. Um, and um, uh, not a lot of uh, not a lot of surprises there. Marnus Labuschagne's been making runs for fun so far. Uh, Stephen Smith hasn't gone all that well, besides taking a, a few blinding catches. Um, you can see Todd Murphy and Matthew Renshaw are in the squad. David Warner, of course, is in the squad, and that is the squad for the World Test Championship at the Oval, uh, and the first two Tests of the Ashes. It is. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to it. June seven, um, uh, the the Test matches from England came on, come on at um, right on beer o'clock, and they're on the television at my local. A lot of late nights for us. Um, uh, God. It's a good thing that they're not playing day-night pink ball ones because it would be a lot worse. But, uh, yeah, I think we kick off about 8 o'clock in the the evening. I generally get through half the first session, maybe a bit bit more, um, uh, having a pre-dinner drink. So, perfect. Well, television's in bedrooms. That's why it's a good idea. So you can fall asleep, wake up, continue to watch a bit of cricket. Uh, Yeah, so uh, the Indian squad's also been announced. Not not a lot of uh, surprises there either. No change, really. No real change. Rohit Sharma's captain. Risbar Pant's still out after his motor car accident, so... Yeah, he's he's for mine. It's a really it's a real tragedy that I mean um, because uh, he um, he to me was the complete um, 
um, all for, all former cricketer, just a great fighter with the bat in a Test match. And uh, yeah. you know, for me, he's a sort of ten million dollar a year cricketer. Um, probably yeah. the one who can replace Coley as the biggest earner in in the game. Um, but look, they've got a very good they've got a very very good attack led by their spinners Jatasha and Ashwin, <laughs> and we can't forget, of course, their quicks who are very very good as well. Uh, also missing five, five tests in about eight weeks, six seven seven weeks. I think. Yeah, well, as soon as that one's done, the World Test Championship uh, that'll finish on the twelfth. Uh, then Australia play the first test in Edgebaston on the 16th. Uh, not quite two weeks later, but basically about 10 days later, they play at Lords, and then it's, you know, it's all crammed in. July 6th, Headingley, July 19, Old Trafford, and July 27th is the last of the five at the Oval. No test cricket being played in August. Jack has been shoved aside for the 100. Uh, well, I think that the oval test will <laughs> we might get one day in August if it goes to five days. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a great series. The, the English series, and obviously the World Test Championships, are almost a sort of novelty and and being played uh, on uh, on uh, on turf that uh, doesn't favour either uh, Australia or India nominally. Um, going to be a great game, but then we've got. Uh, We've got the five tests against England, and they're really packed in. Um, <clears throat> the fiasco at the AFL, Jack, that must be referring to the uh, the business of uh, uh, the business of uh, the two coaches. One actually, the Brisbane Lions coach and uh, the North Melbourne coach, Alistair Clarkson, who's away at the moment uh, on uh, sort of mental health leave. Is that the fiasco you're talking about? Yeah, and it's getting worse, not better. I mean, there's not really much to say about it apart from the AFL need to, um, to uh, you know, Gillian McLaughlin needs to step in there and fix this. Well, how do you fix it? Well, I think you've got to um, sit some people down and say this has got to be resolved. You've got to basically say, I mean, the, the AFL's got to say on, on the basis of uh, – the investigations it's made, the limited uh, investigations and inquiries that it's made, it is not able to make a decision. It, it, it cannot make a decision because essentially the complainants uh, have been wary of the AFL system. Uh, they made their, um, their thoughts and their allegations known in the Hawthorne Footy Club report, which apparently no one has seen, I guess McLaughlin might have seen and a couple of others, um, but in the end they can say, look, we, we don't have an answer to this and leave it open to the civil courts. So that seems to me to be the only issue, uh, the yeah, only and, response. And, and that means giving people some, giving some, people some uh, information which they will find unpalatable, but it's time to be done. Yeah. But that's all that can be done, right? I mean, uh, they, they, they can't sort of run around offering apologies because they, they just don't have the information. They, they don't they have, have the corroboration, the, the, the supporting information. Yeah. The Hawthorne Football Club can choose to, choose to do what it wants to do, but the AFL just needs to sit down with people, give them some information that they might find uncomfortable uh, and move on. Yeah, I did notice that the Hawthorne CEO stood down uh, last week too, Jack. So it's it's taking its toll. Yeah, it uh, has, and needs to be resolved, as you say, Jack. 
uh, mate against state mate. State of origin? State against state, mate against mate. Yeah, it's all happening in, uh, well, uh, in just over 24 hours as we record this. The first one's in Adelaide, Jack, at the beautiful Adelaide Oval there. Um, and uh, and both sides, I think the Blues have been in camp there for a while. I'm not quite sure about the Maroons, how long they've been in Adelaide, but presumably from a, 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 a fair period of time. And um, uh, the the Blues are actually having a bond. Now, what did a bonding session mean to you in the in the rugby league world, Jack, uh, 20 years ago? Um, it meant getting uh, it was not they were normally in Bondi staying at the yeah. um, uh, at the, the Crown Plaza what it was called in Bondi yeah and that's it meant, right um, I meant walking uh, fifty meters down the road to the uh, uh, to the pub and getting completely licked, absolutely licked. smashed and tonight's a free night uh, you know when they were in camp tonight's a free night and the coach would get on the piss with them and and all this sort of stuff now Jack bonding and there was often some. There was often some disgraces uh, that went uh, that, that went hand in glove with the drinking slash bonding sessions. But now, Jack, the Blues players are embracing Indigenous culture after a New Age origin bonding session and believe it has united them. They've been taught an Indigenous chant by uh, Latrell Mitchell, who who missed the game. He's been ruled out with a calf strain. Uh, Josh Adokar. Uh, and uh, and and has led them all on these indigenous chants, Jack. It's a very multicultural New South Wales Blues, Jack. Uh, there are six from Samoa, or, uh, three from Tonga, uh, one from Italy. Although he really, <laughs> he really, um, uh, really uh, comes from Camden. Um, as I understand it, uh, Tommy Turbo, uh, uh, Tommy Turbo, he's from Serbia, and Nathan Cleary. I don't know how he gets into Ukraine and Hudson Young, but they're supposed to be from Ukraine. I don't know how that works, Jack. Someone, some listener might tell us. Blues one eighty to win. Maroons two dollars. You wouldn't mind Queensland and even money, would you? I added in a little bit here um, uh, from Twitter, which I thought um, you you should know about. Um, uh, your big Harry Mackay, the big forward from uh, from uh, from Carlton, former Coleman medalist, signed till twenty thirty. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, at, at or oh, hardly any money at all. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, he's he's got a bit of a dose of the yips. Uh, it's it's quite it's it's actually really hard to watch him play footy at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, on Twitter they were talking about it, and some jump, some blokes jumped on and said, um, I directed this to Matthew Richardson, the former um, uh, Richmond uh, player. Richmond, um, great. As a former star forward in the AFL, what does Harry Mackay need to do to fix his goal kicking? An expert opinion on this would be great. And Richard's comment was. With all due respect, Chris, is this some sort of a joke? <laughs> because Matthew himself um, could be a bit patchy. Uh, uh, having did a, have some yips. He was he was he was generally he was generally pretty ordinary with uh, when he was about fifteen meters out. Yeah, uh, um, on a forty-five uh, degree uh, angle, he'd spray them. There was a response straight away. Um, uh, from a Carlton fan, Silvani's three hundredth game for a Richmond fan. Silvani's three hundredth game. Uh, that, would, that would be Steve Silvani. Steve, that would the game. be sauce, Had yeah. you for first goal kicker, playing a stupidly, uh, paying stupidly $12 on the tab, uh, you missed from the goal square. <laughs> 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 it 
hit the post, I think. Uh, Carlton then scored a goal, so my money was gone. You then get the ball 55 metres out on the boundary and whack it through. Um, uh, <laughs> couldn't stay couldn't stay angry with him for very long at a time. Now, I don't know how much – I don't listen to the telly here when the footy, so I'm not sure how much the, the oh, umpires Richard's been talking mic- a fair bit about this. Yeah. And how much the, how much the umpires are mic'd up and the people at home can hear it because they're doing this in Major League Baseball now. And a couple of days ago, um, uh, there was a, a Miami Marlins game on and the umpires are all mic'd up. Uh, and there's been an appeal for a review of a decision at the home base, a home base call about. Um, and uh, one of the umpires jumped in and says, ah, the Marlins got their head up their ass." <laughs> Which Hang was on. broadcast right across America. Um, and even more amusingly, um, his fellow umpires didn't agree with him, and the decision was overturned. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, our umpires, I think, uh, in the AFL, NRL, and of course rugby union, where they're almost gods, um, uh, uh, they're a lot more salubrious with their discussion. Richo has taken a bit of a um, uh, a bit of a position on Harry Mackay. He he reckons he identified uh, some different approaches from from Mackay, who's lining up, not trying to kick around the corner all the time, but lining up with a drop punt now. And done him any good so far? <laughs> Hasn't done him. It really is painful to watch him play because once he once he gets the ball, and once and I'm starting to think that he goes, well, gee, maybe I don't want to get the ball. Yeah, um, 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 the, the Essendon, former Essendon full forward uh, was talking about that. He says he he clunked about, he dropped about seven marks on the on the weekend, and he says you're starting to wonder whether he really wants to catch it. You know, yeah, uh, he, he, I think he took three marks of the game, probably dropped about eight, including uh, yeah. including one on the chest uh, because he's just got all this clutter in his mind. I don't yeah. know what it is. I, I mean, Brendan Favola did um, uh, offer to go down and assist him uh, and uh, and that was uh, declined and, and that's fine, but I think he needs someone. Some, perhaps, he, perhaps the worst thing you can have is someone else in your ear um, because there's, there's lots of voices going on in there in the head at the moment and uh, adding to them by one may not be a great thing. But overall, um, look, he's a hell of a good footballer and you know he's going to turn it around. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, it's just a bit painful to watch. Um, mm. As long as Fed was there during daylight hours, that'd be okay, you know. And, uh... <laughs> well, Richo, who's now, I mean, look, Richo's a wonderful uh, character of uh, of the game, and Richmond supporters uh, will, but you know, will, will have a deep and abiding love for the man. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, he had <laughs> he lined up. He had a very awkward drop punt kicking style. If he was kicking from not far out from goal and uh, he'd, he'd usually ping him anywhere and Harry Mackay's just one of those guys I mean look Charlie Kernow who's a beautiful kick of a football natural kick of the football he's uh, he kicked in a man the mark on Friday night it's pretty hard being a carp barrack at the moment mate, I'll tell you what uh, then there's about then eight, the eight televisions this season <laughs> then there was the other fella um, uh, who put it out on Driver Avenue from, uh, from the forward, fang, forward flank. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. It was pretty awful to watch. Yeah, Richard was always a pretty loved footballer because he, he he played the game passionately. He used to yell yeah, and scream at his teammates and all that sort of stuff. He but did. <laughs> he I don't, do think, I don't think anyone who saw it will ever forget 
when finally Richmond broke through and won the grand final. And he was a special comments man on the boundary line and he was in tears when they had about five minutes to go. And they oh, knew they all get teary, Jack, all the old blacks, don't they? Don't you remember when Geelong broke the drought and then the Swans broke the drought? No, there they are. They're old men, just tears yeah. running down their cheeks. Um, yes, look, we hope. Uh, I certainly hope that Harry Mackay's yips. Uh, um, he's, not, he's not a natural kick for goal. That's the thing. So he's, he's got to spend a fair bit of time on the track and uh, clearing his head. But, um, uh, look, a, a very intriguing round over the weekend too, Jack. I know we don't want to talk about uh, – we, we prefer to talk about issues than results. But but uh, I got uh, in my – I got two out of uh, out of the nine games on the weekend. There were a you, lot of lot of surprises. You, you wouldn't be too embarrassed about that. Uh, there were plenty of mates. Uh, yeah, it was it was one time. It's the one sort of weekend where there were a lot of upsets, and I think either North Melbourne played pretty well against Collingwood, didn't win, but they're only five goals short. Um, and you know, it's telling us that with the exception of. Uh, the Eagles that it's a still pretty even competition. That's a that's a yeah, good it's pretty thing. good. All right, well that wraps up. Well, it's just before we. I oh, know you've got I'm, something I'm, else, I've got something a, unscripted, yeah, Jack. Something ad lib. A, 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 a new little segment to add in. Recipe of the week. Oh, I was cooking Lord. something last night. Yeah, um, and this is a recipe from my brother, my younger brother, who is a fabulous cook. Um, um, uh, worked at. Um, what was her name? Uh, Joy Sneddon's restaurant. Billy Sneddon's wife, um, uh, Joy uh, um, uh, in East Melbourne, terrific place. Right. This is, this is the simplest thing you're ever going to cook. Right? If you're cooking up dinner just for you and your partner or your wife, husband, whatever, it's two chicken breasts, and then a nice heavy pot, plenty of water in it, crank up the, crank up the heat, get it boiling, don't put any salt in it. Must not put salt in it, but you can throw in, slice up a lemon, put that in there, a couple of cloves of garlic, a couple of bay leaves. You get it boiling. You put the put the chicken breast in the pot. You put the lid on and you turn it off. And then you go to the fridge and grab a beer because you've got 30 minutes to an hour, whatever you want really, to have a beer and throw a salad together. That's all you've got to do and it comes out perfectly. Every so time. this is this is Hong Kong Jack's poached chicken recipe. I guess so it's it's Hong Kong Jack's brother's poached chicken <laughs> recipe, which which means it's even better. But this one thing I wanted to Sounds ask you a little about, light on seasoning, but I won't quibble. Go on. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, see, you, you put something on the top, and because I'm in a bit of a health phase at the moment, I it would love a bit of mayonnaise or aioli or something like that, or um, uh, or or a you know a nice little cream sauce, uh, but. Yeah, you, know, you know, no dairy and um, uh, and All no right. flour and no flour. So I'm not doing that at the moment. So I've got a little bit of salt Wrigley over Sicilian sauce, just olive oil and lemon, really. Okay, with some salt and pepper and stuff. So all very good. But I'm reading the the, the little container that the chicken piece piece is coming, right? And it says that these these chickens were raised vegetarian, right? Well, they are. They're not. Yeah. A, they're not a meat eater. Your chicken. Otherwise, well, we'd be well, well, we'd be being torn to shreds by them. Worms and crickets are meat. They eat worms and crickets and all that sort of stuff. But what I was thinking was, well, because I'm not doing the the eggs or the dairy, and the chickens are raised vegetarian. Does that mean I'm a if vegan or just a, a vegetarian? Yourself? 
not a vegan. No, no, not a vegan. You might be, you might be veering into vegetarian territory there. The uh, the line I loved about vegans is uh, from The Simpsons, where Lisa falls in love with an uh, with a sort of environmental activist who is a level five vegan. Jack, you can't eat anything that casts a shadow. Oh, okay. Always love that line. Always love that line. Very, very yeah, funny. Yeah, well, the, the old joke about vegans is how do you tell a vegan, a, a vegan, don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> very good. And look, with that, and, and, and ad-libbed, uh, an ad-libbed chicken recipe from uh, Hong Kong Jack, that takes us out uh, for uh, this show, I think, episode 31 of our combination, uh, Australia and Overseas uh, podcast. We know we're getting through to a lot of you people because we're getting some um, – one one Blake described our podcast, the best thing that he listens to all week. I wish I, I'm going to grab the letter. We must – we need that kind of flattery, Jack. We, we need that kind of <laughs> – We uh, love that kind of Emotional flattery. massage there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll bring that forward and, uh, and he's just actually got some questions to ask, so I'll put them in next week's, uh, next week's show. Uh, but but, but yes. don't worry. But don't worry. We love the other kind of letters as well. Oh, look, they're as beautiful <laughs> as you like. I mean, we've been around for a long time, you know. We've very, very thick skins here. But uh, – and, and we do encourage you to uh, – complimentary or otherwise, completely vile abuse we'll accept that too uh, drop me a line on Jack the Insider or at Jack the Insider on, on uh, Twitter DMs that's how you can get hold of me you can get hold of us on uh, the conditional release program at gmail.com and a lot of people do or indeed you can get hold of Jack on uh, your Substack Jack yell it out yeah on hongkongjack.substack.com there you go alright listeners and thanks very much for joining us once again and we'll get we'll be back with you next week with episode 32 see you folks